0: Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo.
1: Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host Phil Llewellyn. A big welcome to Season 6, where we continue to explore coaching, learning and development. As usual, my guests are going to present their key learnings from a piece of content of their choosing, and we then
2: discuss its application. I'll now hand over to them to introduce themselves. Hello, uh, good morning. Uh, my name is Richard Cheesham, and I'm a Senior Fellow in Sports Coaching at the University of Winchester.
3: And I am Lawrence Halsted. I was an Olympic fencer for GB in 2012-2016. I'm now the Director of Mentoring at the True Athlete Project
0: and i'm john rhodes and i run imagery coaching and i'm uh, an associate lecturer at the university of plymouth
1: fantastic gents absolute pleasure to have you back on couldn't stay away which i, re- I really really like <laughs> the chat kind of just kept going in the whatsapp group which has been brilliant so um yeah a really great opportunity just to to delve into a few more bits and i'm sure pick up some of the bits that we talked about before so we'll get straight into it uh, cheats will come to you first what are you going to chat about
2: Yeah, so it's following on a little bit from last time we spoke about uh, learning and how can encourage people to get better and a cultural self-improvement, which sounds quite deep, but basically how can I get better? I want those I I coach, I want them to train hard and get better, but they should have an expectation of me to also get better. And then I've been looking at um, the learning environments which obviously I'm in within my teaching and coaching and thinking that how can I present my information and teach where I spark curiosity for people to want to know more about things. And that's my big challenge. And I think that is not just in teaching, but also in coaching. Uh, Just before we were were on air, we were talking about um, the jump bikes and mountain bike guys who had multiple attempts to do a front flip, back flip. And the bottom corner of the screen is the number of attempts they've taken and, I'm, and when you go to those environments, they like can kind of skateboard BMX, jump bike, mountain biking environments, not exclusively them, but a lot of people are curious about how they can try new tricks. I think the Olympics, with the BMX events, for example, showed us, well, how did you do that? Where did that idea come from? And they were well, curious as to know how I can use that half pipe or that jump to try and do a trick that no one's done before, or how can I do that? And that curiosity of, you know, has come from somewhere. It's come from that environment where they think, I want to explore that more to see what I can do. And my challenge now is to think, I, and it's not necessarily now, but is how can I make the learner more curious? What is it I can do in a lecture that think, I'm going to go away and read more about that. That's really, I'm really curious about that. And it's difficult when you've got, such a range of interests in you in the room different range of sports different range of motivations I don't mind what it is you're curious about be curious about something and one task that I'd given them this year which my final piece really was I said uh, go away and listen to a podcast and just present back what you found and they said any podcast I said yeah any podcast just choose something That spark your curiosity and present back and share it with us. And that was probably one of the most successful tasks I've given them. It wasn't about reading, you know, it wasn't about me saying, I want you to read this and report back. It was saying, you find something that you're curious about. And it was an insight really into that they are curious, not always about what I teach them. And that's my challenge. And I wondered if. Those listening, and uh, and John Lawrence, and and yourself, Phyllis, How do we make those we teach, those we coach, more curious? They come back and say, come back and say to us, "Hell, I went and found out about that, and this is what I've learned."
1: It's a big question to kick us off. Um, is my mind jumps you straight away? Is that dependent on how we see knowledge as a concept? Does, does that determine if if I believe I can like knowledge is quite tacit and I can give you knowledge and you're an empty vessel that I can fill up? D- does that probably mean I deliver in a way that maybe avoids curiosity almost? Whereas if I'm if I'm a little bit more, I, I'm not even sure what the word would be, but if almost standoffish, if I'm about asking you questions and I'm about absolutely just getting you to um yeah, to explore yourself and and that type of thing. I wonder, I wonder if there's something around how how we view knowledge and information as to how that influences our delivery to then expand on curiosity. I'm not, I'm not sure.
2: Well, I, I suppose one thing I just before I leave it to, to John Lawrence is that we impart knowledge, but do we impart a desire for them to know more about what we what we talk about? Mm. You know, I'm. I went to the South Downs Country Fair a couple of years ago, and I was curious about the archery coach. And then I got a, bought a, bought a fly fishing lesson for my birthday. I'm less curious about fly fishing, but more curious about how you coach fly fishing.
1: There's a good uh, book on that by J.R. Hartley. I think you have to. Uh, any any certain people would get that yellow pages reference. I think.
2: Um, yeah that's a bit yeah
1: yeah bit niche. bit niche just one of those adverts uh john lawrence what are you thinking what, what's your perspective on curiosity
0: for for me it comes back to personal meaning so if you see the personal value in something then you're more likely to pursue that um, knowledge whatever it could be so i feel that you have to connect through meaning so a lot of people will say why is it important for me to go and read this academic paper Uh, it may not be or it could be why is it important for me to go and read um you know a a paper the sports section because i'm interested in it i'm passionate about it so there's that underlying connection to meaning so again podcasts you know these tasks that are self-selected this is back to autonomy so if people are making their own choice and they feel that they have their own directed decision then they're more likely to invest more effort um, and again, that's connected to meaning. So I, I, that's how I kind of link the link everything together. But I, I appreciate, you know, as, as a lecturer as well, um, getting students to do you know w- wider reading is a, is a challenge. Uh, getting students to do the mandatory reading is also a challenge, um, unless they see real connected meaning in it and how they see their journey progressing over time. The other thing as well that that, that you mentioned, cheats, um, is that thought of what if you know thinking about. People doing tricks. Um, I I feel that you, you, at some point you'll say, "What if I just try this? What if I can do, uh, you know, uh, an extra turn? What if I can invest a little bit more, you know, more effort?" So I feel that that, although I'm, a, you know, obviously I'm I'm am a, a person heavy on imagery, um, that forethought of how do I how does my story fit into um, my current narrative? Like, what if I try harder? What if I invest more effort? And again, this is back to meaning, because it's about me and how I can improve over time. So I feel like there's a couple of things there. There's, there's a definite piece around autonomy um, and that connection to meaning. And then thinking, what if? What would it look like if I do it? What would it mean for my kind of my identity and who I am if I do it? How will it add to my self-worth potentially? Or, or actually, how will it hinder my self-worth, and my identity, if I, if I do it and I fail? So again, that's a more a picture around identity. Um, which probably is another is another rabbit hole to go
2: down. The personal meaning
0: bit.
3: Hmm. Definitely have uh, an example. I'm actually um, I'd be fascinated to get to hear what the right answer to this is because what how do we spark curiosity in people is the probably one of the biggest or most important kind of character traits we can we can try and foster, but very much connected to to what John was saying about autonomy and and personal meaning. One of the ways that I've found in my kind of the, the times I've been coaching young fencers to to get that kind of get that spark to learn more is in video analysis with them but individual video analysis and I think it's one of the greatest tools that we have in, in certainly in, in an individual sport like fencing so every time I'd sit down I would try and do a video analysis session with every every athlete I worked with for every competition and doing it with a coaching kind of methodology so asking questions asking what what happened there what were you thinking then what would you do differently um just being able to present and kind of go through their performances and have them see every every aspect and explore each aspect that kind of that was relevant just every athlete was engaged in it and wanted to know more and we'd have a list of things that they could do or kind of even research look at look up this fencer that does this kind of thing learn from this guy go out and try this and it would leave them with that kind of that sense of there's there's so much to learn here so much to do here um so that that's a tool that i i would come back to often Uh, i know that it's really labor intensive so it's not available for every coach in every instance but um yeah but i'm i'm one of those i have a the personal experience of this at school—I hated school. I had no interest in what we were being taught. Um, how how you can make history incredibly boring to to a child? I don't know because it should be the most interesting thing we could possibly learn about. But I had no interest in learning about the dates of World War Two or the key influences of World War One. And as soon as I left school, I became the most voracious reader and. I think the most curious person that, but it was just stifled in me. So it's something about curriculums that stifle curiosity in the in the first place.
2: Just jumping on that, I um, think I want to lose the thread is, friend um, Liam um, McCartney was at, um, at UCLAN. He'd get in projects his students said, do you you know, do what you do what you want, and they, they he wrote a, a short paper said, we don't want your freedom. But they'd say to "No, we don't want the freedom. We don't want a choice. You tell, you tell us. You tell us what you want us to write about, and we'll do it." And I thought, "Wow, that—that's where we're at. Is where are we having people in front of us who have been so driven by what Phil says about curriculum-based that we teach to a curriculum, to an exam, to pass an exam. We don't teach to, to nurture." That learning. I mean, Lawrence, you just said, was history in your school about remembering dates, or was it about? Can you imagine what it's like? My history teacher was. Can you imagine what it's like to get up in the morning and, you know, and then he expl- expl- explained someone's working day, but then he got half a day off a week, and they're working from six till six. That's what created intrigue, not dates, times, names of prime ministers, irrelevant. So, how do we then think about two things from the, this podcast, which is the curiosity about those we teach to want to get better? And the curiosity of coaches we work with to go away into a different environment, to bring something from it back to our environment. So, you know what? I've been over to uh, boxing and I've been over to fencing I've been over to netball. And I'll tell you one thing you want to learn about footwork? That's three great environments where you could get one gem from what really good footwork is like. So I'm curious how is my performance can get better. You know, when we scroll through podcasts, when we scroll through books, what is it about that, that captures our interest to want to know more? And I think John's absolutely right personal meaning. Is that, does it fit into the narrative of their life? Is this where they're going? And is there something about that? And I talk about that skateboard, mountain bike, Jump bike, and you can think of an equivalent surfing as well, I suppose. I don't know, where they just want to try new things to get better. And I'd been given four blank dice um, where I could write on each of the squares or number it. I had them for six months as a friend, Nick Wilkinson, given them to me. And I had no idea what to do with them. I thought, no idea at all. Anyway, I was teaching movement skills. And sequencing. So I thought I wrote each cube had six movement skills. And I was curious as to how we could then talk about sequencing. So I used those dice to create a fundamental movement skills lecture, presentation, coaching session, just on rolling the dice and whatever came up, we had to sequence those movements together. And that curiosity was just something in me. I thought, how can I deliver this message better to players? Better to coaches and better to student coaches. I'm not saying the only one, but I think the curiosity comes creativity, imagination, engagement, because I want if I'm if I'm if people I'm coaching are curious, they're really engaged, they want to know more. And with that curiosity and craving, uh, you know, as Phil talks about the Rubik's Cube, there'll be inevitably the consequence when things don't go the way you want them to. So there's a lot in there, I know that, but that's just me wanting not to be the coach that doesn't try new things, isn't curious about getting better. Something you just mentioned there,
3: cheats, we do it in the Triathlete Project, we do a lot of work with mindfulness in sport and in performance. And curiosity is a central tenet of, tenet of mindfulness, that kind of being aware of what's going on in your head around you in just in a curious way kind of bringing that element of curiosity so I think actually mindfulness is one way of training that is just and and also that kind of non-resistance to something can come up and I won't I'm not resisting what's happening in the present moment or what could happen I'm just attending to it with curiosity that's interesting that's a thought about about xyz and moving on and kind of refocusing
1: I wonder if age has got a lot to do with this, because I I often feel like education is almost wasted on the young in in as much as because we follow a curriculum. You don't really get to explore. Like if we said to a kid right today, you've got to learn about something that really interests you. It probably isn't going to be something that they'd necessarily learn in school, I would guess. Like for some kids, it will be. But I kind of think it would be a little bit more abstract. It would be a little bit more outside that. And, and actually is the process. And this isn't a, a general criticism of education and how we do it. But I feel like the more you learn about yourself, the more experiences you have, the better you're going to understand those personal collection, connections. And I'm a massive fan of self-determination theory. And I kind of just scribbled that down because I think, as John said, connection is ultimately like relatedness. But if I've never really experienced a huge amount in my life because I'm seven or ten or twelve, how do i know what i'm connected to or related to so does that so does that become actually a real stumbling block that because my world is quite small at that point i haven't had that opportunity to get out and 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 then i guess there's kind of environmental factors and and parents and all those types of things because even walking through your garden you could look at a daisy or the grass or the sky i mean there's there's always stuff to be interested in but if you're if you're kind of manipulated almost into I'm just going to see what's in front of me and that's a phone or that's a a whatever a tv screen then yeah do we lose that I don't I don't know how much nature nurture would impact that element as a child but I, I definitely feel like I'm way more curious now as an adult because I've developed my own self-awareness and and Lawrence as you said just just sitting with those thoughts and aware you know metacognition thinking about my thinking like what why do I think like that and what are some of those big unanswerable questions and being quite comfortable with the fact that we're never going to get answers to that but it yeah it definitely sparked something but I almost feel like had I had that as a 15 year old like how incredible would that be and I, I bump into some through coaching and various bits and one of the athletes I work with now she's 20 incredibly self-aware and i am so jealous of it because i'm like you've, you've nailed this almost like you genuinely you are just so much further down that line than anybody else um and and what are then the benefits how do you make the most of that which is yeah it's fascinating in itself but i just yeah interesting
2: give you one word logarithms absolutely hopeless what is the point of logarithms seriously you know, what, it, what is logarithms? Well, I gave you the, there. You go. When <laughs> I, I've never used it since I left school, I had no idea why I did it at school. But what I'd like to have known about budgeting. Okay, so there's a great book. What is called "What I Wish I Knew When I Was 20. and the the lecturer gives the students in the class five dollars uh, in groups, and they've got to go and make. They've got to make that five dollars, ten dollars, fifty dollars, hundred dollars. They do with it what they want. They come back with the most imaginative way of Making the most out of five dollars—that's the kind of curiosity that—that was—is an environment that you nurture. And when Phil talks about manipulated, I might use the word conditioned. We are conditioned to, rather, uh, you know. Um, and and what happens is that the three groups of, who are this is where curiosity and numeracy and education environments come. For the five dollars, so they're divided into th- basically three. A third of the group went down to the local casino and just put on. And gambled it because like well you know it's only five dollars it doesn't matter if we win we win if we lose we lose another group then went and bought like a bucket and a sponge and washed cars okay and the group that made the real money they went and um i mean obviously it shows its time now about in terms of the value of that money the time was they went and um bought a, a cheap sim put in the cut phone in the phone and they worked in pairs and a male female student and lived in a town where this particular restaurant was really popular. You couldn't book a table. So people go on there on a special date and they'd be queuing and queuing and queuing to get a table. So they then said, they went up to the queue in pairs and said, we will queue for you and we'll text you when the table's free. And they made $600. Because the couple who went out on a date night could go and have a drink in a bar and they get a message saying, right, we're now at the front of the queue and they changed their place. Now, that's curiosity. That's about giving people the same problem uh, and finding out how they use it. And that's where my coaching mind goes through. That's my learning environment. That's what I'm fascinated about, is the group in front of me are so free-thinking and so able to try things and curious that I can learn from them, and I create an environment that fosters that curiosity. That's why I suppose from rugby and Brazilian football, you know, is that... The Fijians and the Bra- Brazilians, they don't have a hold on creativity. They don't own that. They're just a product of their environment. And that's why I get frustrated when I say, oh, this is called a Fijian offload. Well, why don't you just call it a Basingstoke offload, you know? <laughs> we can do an offload at Basingstoke. It doesn't have to be Fijian. Just what environment are you growing up in? i have to plug Basingstoke there. but
1: I think it's so, a great point, and, and I think we'll come on to that in a bit with, with Lawrence and kind of culture and values and just how how people set the tone for that, I guess. But I yeah, I, I I do wonder whether it's an element of almost just continuation, isn't it? You you've got to be pretty comfortable as a coach, I think, especially with young kids to to have chaos like if you were coached because and you got you know as a as a child or an adult and you stood in lines and everything was quite regimented and there was control and it was you know it's easy easier apparently to manage as a group and then that kind of transcends across are we just replicating things we've always done and actually what what breaks that cycle is always I think a really good question And, and I'm not again I'm not sure there is a a definitive answer to this because I think if there was someone would have made an awful lot of money in coach education influencing people far easier and quicker than they have but I I I do often think that's that's probably the biggest issue is just repetition of your experience and not not being willing to to adapt or change and is that is that about comfort zone is that about ignorance is that about you don't know what you don't know like I often find this with athletes. I'd be like, right, you guys go and you know, warm yourselves up and do a handling drill or something. And they kind of just look at me and I'm like, well, I know, I don't know, 40 handling drills you could do right now, but they've probably seen three. And I'm like, well, yeah, so take that and evolve it or do something with it. Like just, just play with it a little bit. But they kind of just stood there waiting to be told, well, this is the practice. And yeah, I've, I've got no answers there. I'd be interested in what your guys thoughts. Like like, how, how do you break that? continuing habit of
2: of your experience i don't want to take t- too much of the, of this time but i'll leave you with probably the thing i think what you said phil is some people just don't know what they don't know you have to uh, have to accept that some people don't want to change some people want to perpetuate what they then they had but i suppose maybe my new mantra is logarithms and burpees why logarithms and why burpees sorry but 50 burpees that uh, as I look across the rugby training session, I see 50 burpees, thinking, man, what's going on? But, you know, that's, that's my thinking. So I always think watch the game. How do people move? What are their movements in that game? Roll, jump, land, twist, rotate, catch on one leg, balance. Well, wow, why don't I just blend all that into a fitness session? I've never seen somebody do a burpee in a game of rugby yet. maybe i'm watching the wrong game and i don't think my daughter's ever come home and logarithmed her way through the five pounds she gets away pocket money there you go my rest my case
0: i i I was gonna add that i think i think that um it could be a mindset issue and i I don't want to go on to the whole mindset kind of uh um deviation here as well but um we do a lot of work where we, where we measure individuals mindsets on various different scales and creativity when we measure when we measure creativity from mindset and we we'll say you know can you rate yourself from um you know you are you are you are innate as that you know you can't change a great deal you either got it or you haven't got it versus you know the other, the other end of the scale which is um you know you can you can learn it you can adapt you can become creative where would you put yourself on the scale um and quite often people put themselves for creativity on the lower end, that always say, well, I'm not that creative. There's no way that I can, you know, I'm not, I can't play the guitar, I can't sing, um, I can't do, you know, I, I, I can't draw, I can't, so or whatever. And they have the mindset that they are not creative individuals. And that's, and, and when we do this with big groups, we do this with, with youngsters, um, we do it with the military, we do it with the whole, you know, we do it with, with the Germany everyone that we see. Um, they, they, yeah, they have a very, um, a very, I would almost say, fixed mindset. Creativity tasks, um, and it breaks that mold, and they change their, they adapt their, their, their beliefs, their mindsets to be more um, creative thinkers. You know, like you're saying, cheats around the Fijian offload. You know that it, it, that that is a bit of creative. You know that's creativity on the spot. That is, you know, you, you've you, you've broken a tackle. I'm just imagining now, because uh, clearly I'm half Fijian. Um, breaking a tackle um, and you know offloading at the back of your you know a, a spin pass at the back that's creativity right that's that's you creating um, that opportunity that's you you know in that scenario um, personifying that that that's a specific trait but people don't see it as creativity they see that as you know something else so I think that breaking that mold is really key about you know just that one mindset I and mean, we do it think you know things like leadership as well I want to say you know are you, uh, do you have people who are born leaders or do you, you know do you develop how do you develop and generally people who have got no idea how to teach leadership or how to teach creativity in open play or whatever um, they're the ones who are very fixed so I think again changing that trend um, for creativity primarily is really quite key. Do you think
2: to that, just bear in mind that the people who couldn't sing, couldn't play play guitar, ended up becoming the sex pistols and multimillionaires. <laughs> but I get your point. I think it's about permission. Create yeah. a very permissive environment where people feel permission to try something. And I always say two things. Sometimes someone says, can I? I say if it's safe and if it's safe and has purpose, you go for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think
1: efficiency is the enemy of creativity? I'm just trying to think, do, do we fall into that trap of doing what we've always done because we believe it to be efficient and we believe it to be the best way and that, you know, you can't reinvent the wheel and yeah. things like that. And so we end up just kind of stuck in that. Well, it works and I know it works. So that's what we'll do. And and, and offloading in rugby or whatever is a, is a great one because it's the classic. Oh, no, you have to learn two hands, you know, two hands to pass initially
3: yeah.
1: because people think it's the most efficient and it's, it's deemed less risky for whatever reason. And then competence and things come into it, because if, if I'm better doing a one-handed offload than I am two-handed, then it's not as risky. But we just kind of simplify down to almost that, that lowest common denominator that it's, it's just more efficient, so let's do that first.
2: Uh, I've just been reading a book called 8,000 8, Weeks, which is roughly about how many weeks we have in our life if we live to the age of whatever. And there was people in the 70s who were scared about being efficient, you say, Phil, because they ended up with like 15-hour weeks. What would you do? you are so efficient. You only work 15 hours a week, what would you do? I'm thinking, well, I work more hours now than I've ever done. And I can, you know, essentially life should be more efficient than that. I don't even have to go to the supermarket. But why have I got less time now than I did then? So I don't know. I think fear is the enemy of creativity, fear of the unknown. But actually that excites me excites me that I'm going to do something different um and I think as coaches and learners you know we the ones who grow are the ones who try new things With it comes to risk like I said about that jump bike guy there's a front flip back flip um Dan McGaskill fantastic mountain bike tricks, tricks unbelievable look at his outtakes um and that's just life isn't it that, that those who try new things will explore different environments but that comes from somewhere like john talks about born leaders you know we're not born creative i'd still think nurture nature you know um the hesitancy is placed upon us is comes from external there's still that internal hesitancy what will happen if but it can be magnified if the person outside says well maybe you shouldn't try that that devil's advocate the what if
0: goes wrong but i'm the person what if you try that would be pretty cool yeah, I, I would add also Chiefs that, that creativity is deliberate. Like it's this thing that you go, I'm going to do this. I mean, and people generally see it as creativity is spontaneous. That's really creative. How did that happen? Oh, it just was quite random. It just spontaneously, you know, the idea came to me. Um, that's not really creativity as, as I see it. I see creativity as challenge and then trying to purposely, deliberately um, solve a problem that's creativity in the, in the moment, but you're, again, you're planning, you're, you're being very deliberate in what you're doing. It's not a spontaneous action. It's, it's, it's deliberately working hard at something, an extra degree on a turn, whatever it could be, you know, so it's got to be, the, it's got to be deliberate. And that's where people generally go wrong, I think.
1: Orange, what does creativity look like in fencing? Cause I, I, I know very little about fencing. I watch it, you know, every four years when it's on at the Olympics or whatever. And I, it would seem quite regimented to me, in terms of the the processes and how people do things. And I guess people have different styles, but I, I don't see many people like throwing in a forward roll and then like jabbing in a different way. Do you know? What I don't mean? like it, that. That doesn't seem to be a thing. But I, I guess there's a good reason why. But I'm interested in what a creative fencer would look like.
3: Actually, I think creativity is a huge part of fencing. We're talking about it constantly. Really, I mean, I'm sure from the outside, it looks like everyone's doing pretty much the same thing. But when you, as with anything, when you're steeped in it, you, you know the ins, ins and outs and you can see and you can sense the creative types. And they're, they're, we, we also talk a lot about intuition. Um, so I, kind of that, it's a really, it's an interesting kind of ground for that discussion about how much of it is trained, how much of it is, is you're just born with. Um, some have just been very naturally able to kind of take what they know and and riff on it, and others can only stick to what they've been taught and kind of the the right technique. Uh, and it's a big element of uh, style and and success is who can be, you can you can be successful with both, but yeah, it's just uh, I don't know what to say. It's just a, it's just a massive part of of, of each match of each. Each fencer will have a, a certain element of creativity, and some are, are wonderfully creative, and others less.
0: Do you watch it more often if there was a forward roll,
1: Phil? So. Yeah, I think so. You know, <laughs> chandeliers, yeah, maybe some <laughs> obstacles, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. Maybe, yeah, a little bit more action movie esque, I guess. But um, no, but I, mean, and I think it's a great answer because it shows how little I know about it. But what, yeah, what what are you looking for when you see something like that? It, that's the that's the piece, isn't it? How do how do you then start to understand the nuance? And I I, I would have just dismissed it as not being creative, but then curiosity kicks in. I go, well, actually, yeah, let's let's find out. But what what makes somebody want to ask that question and then want to want to express themselves in a different way? Are there styles? Would would certain countries have would GB promote a certain style? Or is it very much down to the individual?
3: There there are styles associated with specific countries not all the kind of French have their system the Russians the Italians um, British are a bit of an amalgamation most countries it depends on where the coaches have kind of had their training and now they're moving around a lot so there's there's a big mix and the creativity can come in within any style um, and it's just it can be really yeah really tiny little things that you can see we in the sport can really sense that just takes an incredible the amount of creativity to come up with that and it looks like the exact same thing to you so <laughs> don't put yourself down
2: <laughs> you say on that one Lawrence that, that just uh, I'm interested only in knowing that I've worked with uh, Joe Bates who John knows from archery is that is the creative does the creativity come in when you have so much time with athletes that trying to change some of the training to make it more engaging just throw a few left field things in there the outcomes the same but you want to think like okay, I've got so many hours with this athlete I've got to just be more imaginative about how I tra- provide training sessions would that be not, not so much the performance itself would you think about innovative ways of preparation yeah
3: I think yeah but they'd speak to different things then the creativity in the kind of training sessions is about engagement and quality having good quality in session, so it's not just done by rote, again, the same session. But the creativity of the performance comes from somewhere else. It comes from from personality and risk aversion or kind of risk embracing. Um, So some intuition, some kind of natural-born elements and some trained elements. I think being very... very well trained also allows for creativity if you' if you know if you know a move in and out then you can you can riff on it with some success if you don't then you're only you're just trying to grapple with the basics so there's an element of mastery that enhances creativity I think
0: yeah, I'm gonna say that in, you know with, with the guys that I've worked with especially um, for creativity in, in, in mind it can be a like um, playing poker, you know. So you, so you're always kind of, you know, you're you're analysing how you got hit or how you scored a hit. So then people, will, if I do this, this will happen, and if I do that, that might happen. And then, you know, so so you're having to hugely uh, play poker um, and thinking about next moves, etc., all the time, up until the point where you you go on guard. And I imagine at that point you're heavily relying on instinct. So um, you know. I think it's uh, uh, Vince Walsh, uh, who, who again, I think he's worked with, it. the the England rugby team, um, you know, famously said about the gunslinger, you know, being that more instinct-based, uh, you know, uh, response rather than playing poker. And the other, the other, of course, um, way to make decisions is more based on um, playing chicken, is what he would say. You know, 50-50, give it a go, see what happens. So you're always in one of those kind of three uh head spaces when you're making decisions. But I quite like that around um you know playing poker because I think they, that, that happens a great deal of time between that, those kind of those those down points or down times where you're you know we're you, analyzing the opponent and what's happened um out of distance perhaps as well for you maybe Lawrence um rather than you know close quarters stuff which is more I guess more instinct gunslinger based behavior
3: we actually did a, a uh a couple of sessions with vince walsh and i got i came out as a gunslinger kind of primarily (laughs) but again that's based partly on your on your the physiology physiology so i had good reaction times even under stress Mm. so i kind of would rely more on on instinctual reactions yeah um
0: interesting yeah
1: (laughs) um I was going to kind of drift into, you know, how how would we go about instilling creativity and curiosity in sports, maybe even like athletics that are very A to B. Like, how do you make a 100 metre sprinter? creative like is it even necessary i'm not sure but um, i feel like that's a rabbit hole but um i know we said we were joking about it being four hours but uh, you you guys have got day jobs and stuff so <laughs> um i think we'll probably kind of part of that one there and lawrence we'll come back across to you uh to tee us up on a little bit of a uh, culture chat i believe
3: yeah this is something i've been looking at a lot recently and learning about because we're all steeped in this now this idea of team organizational company values and I've done my fair share of working out and kind of defining values for clubs and teams and um, I I learned recently that this idea originally came from the management consultants McKinsey a good while ago I don't know if it was the 80s or 90s or something they were struggling themselves and, and came up with this idea that that you can create a culture by defining the values of the organization and they had they have an they had an, a value of high high ethical standards and then a few years ago they got fined 700 million dollars for their part in the, the 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 opioid crisis in the us enron had a, a value of integrity and that didn't pan out too well for them either and and this idea that kind of I've been coming across this more often, and there's some there's some research coming out, there's doing more research into these kind of especially toxic high performance cultures, who obviously all have their own values. And there's one researcher I know from Denmark quite quite well, Niels Federson, who's who's done some of this this work in 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 Olympic sport. And it's pointing to this, this idea that they are They can. I'm sure they can be useful, but they they're often meaningless. And in terms of the an organisation or a team's values defines its culture in any sense is is way off the mark. Is what we're kind of seeing, and it's far messier than that. Basically, that and some of Neil's work kind of points to there. There's a huge impact of or influence of individual kind of key players who are not necessarily senior members, but kind of cliques or countercultural kind of members of an organization or just individuals have a particularly high influence and they don't necessarily buy into the culture and obviously a big organization has lots of people who buy less or more into the organizational values so i wanted to just hear from you learned gents what what you think about about that as a whole is are we are we missing the mark is there, is it worth going carrying on down this kind of route of organizational values is it can it can it be valuable can it be worthwhile or is it just um is it just a load of crap?
2: well i really it's fascinating about the values because those are the ones that if they are your mission statement or the values which you say the business you work in represents then you really need to be prepared to be held to account if you don't stand by them you know and i think that's I mean, you know, where I work, one of the, I think one of the mission statements is about creativity, but I always feel it's creativity, providing it's okay with us, like within our little boundary. I don't want that boundary. Like, let's be creative. Let me be wild, you know? Um, so it's interesting. And I, I think that teams, and you guys are much more experienced than me, but team cultures, what they stand for, you know, I think, you're right, it is it's, uh, it's, just very, it's just very interesting. I do remember doing some work with Kurt Lindley when he was a sports coach, and we were talking about um, producing a, a, a resource for one of the governing bodies of sport that was a coaching course. And so coaching level one on the front cover was a player you know, in action. And they didn't do it because one of the players had previously been caught for drug offences. So they had to bin, I think it's about 10,000 resource packs because the front of this coaching level one program I had this player as a, you know, role model and they had been, so there is some dangers around that. And I, I think if you stand, if you present yourself with those values and your mission statement, then you really have to stand by them. Easier said than done. Is that what you mean, Lawrence? Is that when you say I am this, then you have to be that. And those you employ and those you, take on board as your team members. So when I go to Saracens, and they, they're they very careful around the players that they recruit to fit into the environment that is the environment that they create, which is a wonderful part to be in. Yeah, I
3: mean, that's part of it. I think the easier said than done bit is almost the crux of it, that they that it's, it's nigh on impossible to live to kind of make to live by your values in any meaningful way, in a way that everybody feels and, and actually describes the culture. In fact, mm-hmm. the, you can do a huge amount of work with your values, making them kind of, making sure you live up to them as an organization, but that still doesn't describe the actual kind of, the way we do things around here. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I quite like the, the Pret, Pret-a-Manger um, approach that they used to have, which was, uh, they didn't do coffee tokens. They didn't give away that. They gave the autonomy to the person who was there to say, give so many free coffees away each day, but give them away based upon your intuition of the need of the person in front of you. Regular customers would come in and there's somebody be flustered and have a bad day and I used to cycle in and get soaking wet. Sometimes the guy would go, no, don't worry, that's on us. And that wonderful autonomy, that freedom was a real lovely culture they had in that part of the organisation. And people only ever remember them for making a mistake about not labelling food properly, which I know had dreadful outcomes. Absolutely. you it was a really significant um, thing around allergies, but um, not in any way underestimating that. But remembering that part of their culture was to say to the people who they employed, we don't give away, f- we don't do stamps of coffee. We allow you to be intuitive about the person in front of you to know when you think it's right to give them that.
0: I'm gonna uh, give you my view on values. And I think that what, what teacher said around, um, you know, if you've got values, you need to personify what you do by your values um, is really quite key as well. So um, I, I I always do value tasks with all my groups, whether it's corporate, whether it's sport, military, it doesn't matter at all. Um, we always do values. And also you need to have your values at hand. So you need, so when we work with individuals and teams, um, if you don't know what your three top values are, then you probably are not living by them. So it's really important to, to know what they are. So for me, when I to give, give an example of my values, so uh, family 100% is my top value. Um, how do I live by it? Um, I'm present when I've run with them. Um, so you must personify your value. Uh, and then like, you know, education, knowledge sharing, you know, doing podcasts like this is another, you know, personifying values. Uh, and then, and then being healthy is a, is a value. So again, those that value in terms of like going for a run, eating healthy, etc. You know, living by those values. Of course, there are times when um, when I have a takeout or whatever it could be that kind of it comes into a bit of friction with my values. But but you've got to start with that with that kind of your what are your values? So how do you how do you connect that to an organisation? That's the that's the big question, I suppose. Uh, which is what uh, I, I think Lawrence is, is trying to look into in a bit more depth um and there, there is
3: there there seems to be still a unanimous kind of agreement that personal values still have great value they're still they they can still be a wonderful kind yeah. of driver but organizational level is where it gets messier and less yeah. makes less sense
0: so so i think to to make it work successfully um you have to know your 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 own personal values first and then you would need to know your team values so what we generally do is we seat everyone down together, break them out into smaller groups, and then and then say right, well, what are our collective values in this group? And so that forms what we would call your uniqueness or your personality within your within your team. So, for example, it could be cheat saying I'm not willing to compromise on curiosity being a core value, and that means that I do not want to have any, uh, I, you know, I, I I want to be able to go and 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 um, go to conferences. Because I'm curious, I want to be able to, um, you know, do consultancy. Because I'm curious, it adds to my personal wealth, uh, uh, um, knowledge base. So, so you need to have or understand your team's personality. Like, what's your team like? How is it distinctive? How are we all connected? But how, actually, you know, we're all very unique as an organization, but also as a, as a specific team within the organization. And then that's, that's level two is um, what I would call our values. With our team, and then the level three would be um, putting in your personality, your team's values into what usually you inherit from um, an organisation, which is their mission statement, which is their, you know, integrity. Just as, as you said earlier, well, how can we live by that that value um, as a as a, as a team? And that is, you know, if if you understand how you're operating. So, for example, it could be um you know patagonia for example you know big on sustainability um so in our group if we're all big on health and we're big on you know family people are we able to 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 go you know does does patagonia allow us to go on long hikes in their gear to sponsor us to go with our families you know this is then personifying your values through your organization so you they, they need to be hand in hand they need to be merged and what that creates is it creates what what Phil's going to tell me in a minute is self-determination theory this is belonging creates belonging you connect to other people who've got similar values who you, you that you then personify values and do various things experiences based on your values but it's got to be again deliberate it's not like we're going to make it up and we're going to say halfway through the day hey, we're gonna now we're going to now explore this value it's, it's got to be a very deliberate process thought out through vision so you're looking at that long picture and what why 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 you know, health is important to us. How can we personify it within an organization? How can we do various things together to connect um, people? And when you start doing that and you do it regularly, that creates, and we, we, we tell teams, that is your edge. That's what makes you unique. And so when we talk to teams and we say, do you know your edge? Do you know how you're different? Well, we're an accounting firm well you know we're just here to you know ultimately this is what we're doing which we're making money with um okay well how are you unique how are you totally different and this is again back to personality how are you how are you personifying what you believe in and how is it spilling out into other areas of your own personal values your team values and also your organizational values that's my view
2: <laughs> if you um, on the values thing when you do that there's two things that stand stands out from that on when when your some of the coaching calls have been to about philosophy. You say, you know, what's what, what values is important? People listen. And I say, well, don't just list those words. I want you to describe what trust feels like. What does mm-hmm. kindness feel like? What does empathy feel like? What does communication, you know, can you give me an action behind a value? So when you ask people about trust, the word athletes and come out, out over and over again is safety. I feel safe. And that's what I want you to when you say these are our values. I want you to give me an action or an example that goes with it. Now Lawrence has the experience of the Olympics and Olympic values, but that's a huge organization, the IOC. Do they do they live by their values? Human beings are infallible. We all make mistakes. There Has to be some flexibility around, well, look, you know, we're only human after all. An individual within a big organisation that represents values may make a mistake, but that doesn't represent the organisation. And the IOC, the cynicism of some of the world governing bodies, you know, FIFA, the IOC, you could name all of them. They all have values, but what happens when they fall short of them? Is that what you mean, Lawrence? When you think of the IOC, people may look at it tongue-in-cheek and go, well, the only reason that country got to host is because there was some underhand dealing. How does an athlete get to compete when they're only banned six weeks to go? You know, is that where where you mean with that? Yeah, that's, that's part of it for sure. It's, it's incredibly damaging
3: when an organisation like the IOC that stands for kind of the loftiest ideals of sport are also, or FIFA even, but are, are kind of engaging in the most underhand tactics as well or corruption and lack of transparency and um so that's the kind of the dark side of it is when an organization doesn't just clearly doesn't live up to their values then then there's no there can be no trust or integrity in that organization left that's what we're seeing with the IOC for sure FIFA that that trust left the building decades ago um but I actually on more on the kind of uh quotidian sense of just they, do they mean anything are they meaningless when the way we do things around here is decided by a host of other factors that are far more prevalent that values maybe have some impact but are, um, negligible compared to all these other things like like what you described with pret cheats about kind of the the practices the processes um the way conversations are handled, the, the leadership style, all these other things that have far more of an impact. Maybe these values are meaningless. I'm hearing quite a lot of, well, quite a, not much skepticism so far. I'm hoping that Phil is going to come in and and, and say, yeah, they're pointless. What what do you what's your take, Phil?
1: Um, uh, there's a couple of things. I, I think it's interesting how we tend, even just in the language of this conversation, there tends to be separation around you know we kind of talked around entity or business values or you know values of an organization I would argue that can't be separate from the people that are part of the organization like Manchester United take you know Thanos clicks his fingers and and everyone disappears and well Manchester United is just now an empty building with a with a sign on the side like the organization ceases to exist in any form of sense because nobody inherits that space Nobody lives there. Nobody does anything there. So I, I don't think we can ever separate the organization from the people. And that for me is when we try, because it's the easiest thing in the world is to sit there and, you know, so as you said before, sketch out on some piece of papers and a management company talk about, oh, let's do a values exercise. Well, what is the point? Actually, how do you get that to a point where they're tangible? If they're tangible for me, their behaviors. So I, I do in a lot of ways think values are pointless because not enough people probably think for long enough. I was just like super impressed. John nailed his Like clearly spent a lot of time thinking about those and and going through those. I don't think many people would be able to give you their top three straight away. But if you looked at their behaviors and let's look at the extremes of behavior, what what are you willing to do negatively? What are you willing to do positively? For me, that's a more interesting exercise. If, if there was a way to map that, let's say, you know, the four of us are an organisation, well, let's let's overlap our extremes because if, if all our extremes at the bottom end and the negative end are pretty extreme, for me, we, we might have an issue when it comes to integrity and, you know, all those types of things. If If we're all pretty middle of the road and positive, then I would suggest our business or whatever it is we're doing would be quite quite successful and you know quite positive in how it acted and you know morally strong and all those kind of points and I, th- I think it's probably just working out where everyone's extremes are which becomes really complicated if it's a if it's a huge business if it's a small team then it's probably a little bit easier but maybe we're better off talking about behavior well, some of the best ones i've seen link behavior then to their activities. so as john said it's deliberate and one of the really good ones was a volleyball team in uh, vancouver university, and they basically have a gratitude circle. So gratitude is one of their behaviours. And they have a gratitude circle before every training session and every game. So it's it's no longer this abstract concept of, well, what what lives on a bit of paper or it's printed it in the changing room or any of that kind of cliched stuff. It is, you've got to come in and you've just got to very briefly say, go around the circle and say what you're grateful for. And suddenly there's a tangibleness, if that's even a word, it's a tangible outcome right like they are having to practice that every single day so now their behavior is linked to an activity and then they get feedback and and they'll you know very they'll do a little feedback app or whatever it might be or just quick chat well how well did I deliver this behavior today or it'll be self-acceptance of yeah guys I've I've not lived up to our standard today so there's always that kind of feedback coming in which then links to the behaviors because if the behaviours start to slip and the feedback highlights that, then they'll do another activity to kind of resolve that. So it's, I think it just becomes this little triangle that's lived and breathed almost in every moment because it is so deliberate. It's not just been this, you know, at the start of the season, let's spend 20 minutes talking about our values and our behaviours and then let's not worry about it for the rest of the year. Like they are doing that for 15, 20 minutes as an activity every single day, but then they're also doing all the other stuff on top of it. So yeah, I, th- I think they are pointless in some ways, unless you can get to a point where you're actually like living them.
3: Well, I think you're you're describing there a culture in, its, in the behaviors. And it makes me think that the values can way too often act as a smoke screen for this is what we stand for, but actually it's just what you say you stand for what you really do if you take away the values, then all you're left of you are some ask an organization team, what do you stand for? Is the behaviors, is the practices, is what people say about their experience. And it's far messier. It doesn't fit on the the website quite so easily and um yeah on nice posters around the changing room. But but it's uh there I there seems to be that kind of Enron and like example of integrity in the least the company with the least integrity of all time. So, yeah points to the fact that and in, in smaller cases as well, it, they can just kind of cover over the fact that that's not your culture. that's you're not even doing anything to aspire to those values. Let's look at your behaviors, your processes and and there we'll figure out
1: what your culture is. I, th- I think I try to stay away from politics on this podcast, but I think it's a great example of a political party having values or behaviors, or do you know what I mean? Because it's so exposed. I I, I have no idea what, I'm not a big conservative fan, but I've no idea what their values are. I don't even know if they have any, but clearly their behaviors, unless it's corruption and a load of other stuff and and there's me on my high horse. But do you know what I mean? I I just, I, I think they're a prime example because it's a large number of people seeking opportunity And seeking power and 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 all of the realities come to the fore because people are fallible as as Cheat said right like they're gonna your weakest moment or your worst moment is when you're going to be most exposed and i think we just see that time and time again in in those types of organization but i what, what would change that like if you were the consultant and you got asked to go into a political party and you know jazz up their their sales pitch around their value and behavior or actually influence change like how do you do that because the walks of life there's so many different perspectives coming into that i wouldn't have a clue with with an organization like that with so many different people i I just again i think something like that is impossible It's, it's probably easier for a an organization like the FA or FIFA or someone like that. Um, maybe the smaller the organization, the easier it is. But yeah, there's there's definitely some points where you're just going to say, how do we change your behavior? Because there's zero account and maybe accountability is the answer. And as soon as accountability disappears, then then are we gone? Like because now I can do whatever I want and I know I'm going to get away with it. So what's what's stopping me manipulate that? I don't know.
0: I think this comes back to Cheetah's point about creativity. Like we we need to think creatively because this is a real challenge and struggle um, in government, but also in, in you know in clubs. You know, so how, having that space to be creative and to say you know how do we reset? And the last time we were on together, you know, I spoke about you know how do we all go at, at, at a point? You know what things aren't working. Let's reset. Let's all let's let's all group again. Let's, and let's let's you know thrash out what that what our values are perhaps, or you know what we're talking about at the moment is. <clears throat> what I would call um, more uh, cognitive dissonance. You know, we know that we should live by them, but we kind of don't. Um, and then what happens is, is that people generally say, well, you know, I'm going to carry on voting the way that I've always voted because it's just, you know, just the way that I've always done things. Um, and they still feel that cognitive dissonance of like frictions, grating, you know, and I always say to, also to, um, to, to clients, people who I work with, you know, if you feel guilty, if you, if you have a feeling that um something's not quite right, perhaps you're not living by your values. So if you feel guilty for not going for a run uh, or eating unhealthily or whatever it could be, that is a friction between your behaviour and your value. So I think it can take a lot of creativity to try and get back to you know that, the, the point of the reset. From well, a
2: coaching perspective, sorry, just from coaching, Mr. Fado, I, I get a politics one and it's a rabbit hole. Well, not a rabbit hole, it's the a- Deep mine shaft to the centre of the earth. Um, I think people go into politics for agendas rather than the right reasons. Anyway, um, I'm always curious as to Lawrence's point about coaching. So let's just take not necessarily an organisation. Let's just take a coach. I'm always fascinated when you when a coach who or a manager fails at an organisation and then gets recruited by another organisation. Almost that the mistakes they made of the past are erased, and they move on to some other thinking. I mean, you could take an ex England manager who managed the, the England football team for one game and then was caught receiving, you know, or perceived with taking payments and then gets another job. I'm thinking, if you coached me, what would I look up to in terms of the values that you represent? How can I, how can you show me integrity? And John talked about that dissonance, you know, what we believe in and what we do, they're very different things. Will, will an organisation, or will a team ever be, have a banner that says this? We aim to be this, blah, 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 but we are infallible. So sometimes we make mistakes. That, that's what would be a better statement of an organisation, of a team. You look at the All Blacks, you know, the book by James Kerr Legacy and what they lived by and what they believed by and the jersey and the importance of all that. You know, they still had a player made a mistake and I thought the way they dealt with that meant they didn't lose their core values, didn't lose what they represented. They were very clear about how they managed that situation because that individual was infallible. He wasn't the All Blacks, he was a human being who made a mistake. And I think that's a different when the organisation is you have 100 people represent organization A, team A, people will make mistakes. I think the point you're making, Laurence, is if we say these are our values, it's a bold statement, which will only ever really go one way. We'll make a mistake, and then that will undo all of that integrity we've built up over the years, because people will remember that one mistake. They won't remember all the good that you do. They'll remember that one mistake. That's human nature. What's the way around it? I don't know. You know, I think about... An environment which I coach and which I teach in, by saying like I make mistakes, but at the heart of it, I want it to be your number one supporter outside of your family and your friends. That's my role. I Might get it wrong, but that's my role. Now, you know, I, I think that if we are a team and organization and governing body, and we stage our values. What's the alternative? What do we then say we are? If we know that at some point someone's going to let us down, an individual or a corporate mistake or a decision that we made, that is the wrong thing. Do you think you can invert it? I'm just wondering, does that
1: solve the problem? So rather than saying we will, say we will not. So basically kind of like outline the bottom line. So we won't, I don't know, take bribe. We won't.
3: Google said do no evil.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they won't do that, and yeah. I don't know yeah. if that works. <laughs> but yeah, but I, I do. You know what I mean? You'd almost go the when we won't ever. We're human. We won't ever compromise beyond this point. So everything you'll get from us is above this, and you'd, you'd hope that it wouldn't be, you know, too too far down that scale. But like, actually, is that a discussion that people have? Like, how 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 bad are we willing to be and live with it? Because I feel like that would probably be more powerful than, than this lofty halo, you know, everyone in, up in the clouds going, oh, aren't, aren't we all wonderful? Well, let's live in the reality. Like how, yeah, how how bad would we let things get?
3: I think you might be getting, go down the same route, though, just lowering the bar and you'd still get people ending up below it or mistakes yeah. that happen below it. One thing that I came across that speaks, I think, perhaps makes most sense in this kind of realm that speaks to what John said about having an edge being what makes you unique, is moving away from these aspirational values of the things that everybody can say is great, trust and integrity and respect, teamwork, and more towards your value statements are more like beliefs about the world that, that could absolutely be argued the opposite. So they're what make you unique. You know, we, we, we could be, we take the risky solution you could easily imagine another company saying we'd take the safe solution but you kind of set up these statements i don't know we're here to we're all about the the player experience we're not about winning you could have something absolutely kind of arguing the opposite so if they can be reasonably argued the opposite then then they're kind of setting you out setting out your stool, and they're not um, yeah, they're kind of differentiating you, like like John said. That that made some sense to me. And this aspirational idea for organisations is setting setting you up for failure and probably presenting a smokescreen anyway. Any thoughts on that?
2: You say um, we're not about. I sometimes think about these things and say we're not about the winning. Some parent will say, yeah, but it's good to win though for my children to experience winning then you might say that winning is not the ultimate goal
3: yeah i mean that that was just an example that you you could set up a, a team value saying we're not here to win we're here to create a great experience yeah
2: knowing
3: yeah. that knowing that that might lead to winning but, but the opposite could also be fine like, we're here to win
2: could be a fine team value yeah, I mean I think if you're you know if you're at the business end of support where winning pays your mortgage, you know, that's a pretty important thing to have as your mantra about. But it's what to do when you don't win. That's the bit I want to know what companies that. I mean, uh, the, one of the academies I said, Well, the uh, interview the players and they're great so they said, Well, they teach us how to win skills. I quite like that focus, you know. But I'm not in any way taking away that. I think you worded it. Absolutely rightly about the experience that people have. What would you reflect upon by being in that environment? What would you say about it? What, how did it make you feel? Are you still playing the game five, ten years on? when you encourage your children to do that? Um, and I think sometimes when people say we're not about the winning, is that I 100% understand that, but maybe just articulate it slightly differently to the parent who says, yeah, but... You know, what does that mean
1: then, you know? I I might have an answer for that, and and I'll read you a couple of bits, and I'll I'll stick this in the group as well. So this is Salisbury Rovers FC. I don't know if any of you guys follow them on Twitter, if you like, because they're brilliant. So this is a poster they've put out. um, Interest in the place at our club, a few things you should know our thinking we want kids to have fun kids voices are prioritized we follow a child's rights based approach we have a clear view on how kids acquire skills we don't have kids dribbling around cones we think long term right to play we don't train six-year-olds we don't trial we don't select and they basically just go through adult direction Our, uh, our adults don't shout directions kids voices should always be louder than adults Free play. We offer lots of free play. We're a club for kids who love football and want to play without constant adult intervention. Uh, we're not. We're not non-competitive. Long-term development. We do things differently. We're proud of this. We ask families to make a positive choice to come to our club. Um, you know, the bottom line: the game belongs to the kids who play it. That's probably one of the best ones I've seen because, like, it's a bit wordy and and there's loads more I've missed out there. But it's it's probably just quite real like this is what to expect that's not they could they could have just put our thinking right to play out of direction free do you know what I mean they could have just gone values they're actually saying this is this is the reality of coming here and please don't come here if you're not this but do come here if you are there and I, I just think that's that's there's so much power in there to be able to say this is what we do do not be shocked and surprised understand what where we're at understand why we do what we do and there's probably then a ton more stuff that goes on behind that in terms of you know getting the right coaches and how they manage out parents that and kids that don't abide by those values and understand that process and those types of things but i I think that the, the time effort and energy they've gone into being really clear with those you know 20 or 30 little statements is is maybe that kind of middle ground of they've clearly done the work on it have have they come out with the values and you know put them on a board at the side of the pitch. No, they've come out with something that's actually tangible that says this is who we are and what we do. I think I think
3: you're right. I think that speaks to a it does speak to a culture that they have and that people have to buy in and that hopefully they you'll also notice that when you're there. And I like the fact that they didn't actually choose any values they didn't they headlined it with just headlines free play is not a value It's just a description. adult direction is just a headline for that section and that kind of that points straight back to that we are only what our behaviors are that kind of i think that's kind of where i was thinking with this is yeah the, the name of the value means nothing it's your behaviors that describe what you are
2: yeah i like I like the idea of that because behaviors is an action values is a word I, behaviors are the doing, the experiencing I um, wonder whether the the you know, the soldiers rovers so I saw the thing on Twitter phil um' really got a lot of interest. What were the children right
1: and that that for me is where they're different i, I and and they promote that don't get me wrong, I think they do that very deliberately because they want to change the way youth sport is seen and run and everything else but that that right of the child to be heard and the 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 child being the center of everything i i don't know many sports clubs at all that have a kids committee that really ask the kids what they want and then listen and then act on it do you know what i mean there's there's every, every club sports club i've ever come across has got a a minis committee or a um or whatever but you kind of just go actually how how, what aware where where are the kids voices in any of this which is yeah it's fascinating
2: it's the it's the difficulty of a children's coaching environment which is managed by parents and adults who want the best of their children but don't want to ignore what the children want i mean i mentioned about kitty off in the woods today with a shovel in the tesco meal deal there are other supermarkets to do meal deals as well um and they create the environment of which I am not welcome. I get there and there's this silence, but like only fools and horses when he walks in. And there's Batman and Robin and there's a, a... I get that welcome. So what I do is I say, just tell me a video of what you're doing. I'm just curious to know. And that's what I get. And um, how does that then play out into more formal coaching where we can't send them off to the woods with their shoulders, do what they want. But there is an equivalence of that. If this could be the best environment you would walk into, what would it be like? Sometimes it's difficult to ask that question because people don't know the answer because they haven't got anything to compare it to. Well, the last environment I had was great because we could do this. So it's actually around, you know, this co-creation of environment where we listen and act upon what they say and we share what we believe will benefit them. And I, like, I love the fact that Lawrence talks now about not values, but behaviours. You know, we will do, you know, play is not a value. It is a right, isn't it? You know, the right to play. Um, and I still go back to that matching environment. How can I match? i track in the woods to how I coach. How can I move away from logarithms and burpees to real life learning and curiosity? I mean I, I know it's I, know I find it funny now. I just I just rail against it so much because it's everything that I'm not. And when it talks about values is is has a place, but it is a very difficult thing when it's concrete. Because that's what happens when you make a mistake. People say, Oh yeah, but you said you are.
3: That that Salisbury Rovers list does it Seems to align exactly with your, your daughter's experience in mm. biking in the woods, right? If you yeah. are in a club setup and you want to get as close to that as possible, it's those that list that you go back to. Mm. Less, less adult voices, more free play, hearing from the kids. So they align pretty nicely,
2: hundred percent. And I've said I said this to Staffy Long when she came down to the BMX track in um, and Andover. My daughter said, "I'm going to hold a coaching conference. I'm not I'm not going to flog the BMX too much, okay? But let's just let's just flog it for now." I want to hold a coaching conference at Skateboard Park. Seriously. I don't want to see a thing in a PowerPoint slide. I want you to sit around the Skateboard Park, BMX track, pump track, just watch. And then they, they will, the children participants presenting to you, not explicitly, or explicitly, they are explicitly and implicitly, they're showing you what are they telling you, how they're learning. What can we learn from that goldfish bowl? But I take away to when I coach and I match that because they don't need me there and they're still learning, still getting better, they're turning up rain or shine every week and they're watching learning. I've I've got to match that. That's my benchmark in many ways for a flourishing environment where no coach is there, they turn up, they talk to each other in their language, they learn, they fall over, they stand up and get back again. I don't think they have values. I just think they have as you say Lawrence, behaviors.
1: I think that's a great question. To to leave like, do do kids understand values or do they just live behaviors first? Yeah, very, very interesting. Um, guys, we'll wrap it up. Lawrence, I know you've got to shoot on. So um this has been brilliant as as the first one was. So thank you very, very much for, for coming back on. It's been an absolute pleasure to uh, to get some. Yeah, I think some deep, very deep conversation and some uh, hopefully some really kind of tangible outcomes for people that are listening and and definitely some stuff to to think about as uh, they go across their business over the weekend. So, gents, absolute pleasure. Thank you. Um, To those listening, as always, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again to the guys for coming on and contributing to a really brilliant discussion. Links to all the content discussed are available in the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly, although we didn't really talk too much content. We'll, we'll get the guys to, to do some recommendations and I'll, uh, I'll link those in. And uh, as always, I'd like to thank you for listening. Wish you all the best and go well.